0: This is a very important hour of your week. God has ordained one out of seven weeks of the week, one out of 24 hours of the day for the preaching and hearing of his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scriptures is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, when you hear, when you what you hear in this hour, not only affects the rest of your week, but also the general trajectory uh, and outlook of your life. The Word of God is essential for you. So I pray that you will be attentive to hear this hour. With what, with that said, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the text. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praises because you have not concealed yourself. um, and You have not left us in darkness, the darkness of our sins and ignorance. But you have revealed the fullness of your glory to us. Even now, we can have a clear glimpse of it through your word. That mine of treasure, spiritual riches for the soul. Today, Lord, we come to the fountain of wisdom and we desire to drink, and we desire to feast. I pray that you will teach us your word in this hour. May your truth go forth and be preached with the anointing from on high, and thy Spirit will transform the hearts of everyone here this morning. And I pray that the sermon this morning will be preached with fear and trembling, and I pray that the sermon will be received with humility and conviction. I pray that you will transform our minds and our hearts by the word, which is uh, from you, the living God. We pray. Amen. <clears throat> uh, this is going to be somewhat a rough sermon. The Bible sometimes addresses believers with some pretty rough words. Is Galatians 3.1 your favorite memorization verse? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How about the gentle and loving Lord of the church, Jesus himself, speaking to the church in Sardis, Revelation 3.1, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember Paul's admonition to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 4.8, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, the apostles, you have become kings. The point of these seemingly harsh texts is this. God loves his children. So God admonishes and awakens us, convicts and sanctifies us with his word. Sometimes even a bit rough words. And the sermon today is designed to be diagnostic. It is meant to awaken us. In one crucial area of our Christian life, if you had fallen asleep or become lukewarm in that area, so if you have the physical copy of the Bible with you, please turn to the to, to the Epistle to the Hebrews, letter to the Hebrews, chapter five, will be in verses verse eleven, Hebrews chapter five verse eleven, Hebrews five eleven. Let me read the text for you, and please pay close attention to every verse, just one verse, because this is the word of God. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. The structure of the sermon is a little bit different from what you are accustomed to. Instead of going through two or three points, from the text in succession, I'm going to make a few observations first from the text, and then I'm going to put these observations together to derive a key doctrine. This doctrine is what I want you to remember and take to heart from this sermon, just 1.1 doctrine. And then finally, I'll explain this doctrine in greater detail and apply it to ourselves. So we'll proceed with observation, doctrine, and then some explanations and applications. So let's begin with, with some observations on this verse. About this, we have much to say, but and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Observation number one. The scriptures contain abundant spiritual knowledge for the soul. The scriptures contain abundant spiritual knowledge for the soul. Verse 11. About this, We have much to say. The Bible has much to say about the glory of God and the good of our souls. There are a lot of things in the Bible worth explaining and understanding. The law of God, for example, it teaches us what righteousness is and what it takes for men to be with God and be acceptable before God. The wisdom of God instructs us what to do in every situation of life. I read through Proverbs over the summer because I'm going to be a father and I'm not wise enough for it. And so I need to read the wisdom from God's word. And the prophecies from God, from the scriptures, examine and diagnose our hearts and bring beneficial spiritual convictions. The gospel books, they turn our eyes directly upon the fountain and the root of our life and salvation who is Jesus the Christ. The epistles of the, from the apostles explain Christ and direct us disciples in the way of godliness. And this word, the, the word of God, the Bible, gave us new life. 1 Peter 1.23 Since You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This word saves us. This word continues to sanctify us today. John seventeen seventeen sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This word will safely guide us to our eternal home. Psalm 1, blessed is the man whose delight is the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Whoever you are, whatever station of life you are in, you will find the Bible an excellent and all-sufficient guidance for you in all things. Observation number one, the scriptures contain abundant of uh, spiritual knowledge for the soul. Observation number two, the scriptures have many difficult doctrines to explain. The scriptures have many difficult doctrines to explain. Verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. If you could somehow go back in time and observe how I prepared this sermon, this point, it would be immediately clear to you, there are a lot of things worth explaining and understanding in the Bible, but there are a lot of things that are very difficult and very hard to explain and understand in the Bible. Let's let's just take the context of of our text as an example. The point of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior to the angels, uh, superior to Joshua, Moses, Aaron, to the animal sacrifices. He mediates a better covenant. He serves in a better temple. Now, in our text, the author of of Hebrews is in the middle of explaining the superiority of Christ's uh, high priesthood over the Levitical uh, high priesthood by drawing a parallel between Jesus and Melchizedek. Jesus and Melchizedek. I'm not going to explain uh, this doctrine at all this morning. It's not the main point of the sermon, but the point is this Do you know the institution of Levitical high priesthood and their functions and responsibilities in the Old Testament? Do you know what it means for Jesus to be our high priest? Do you know who Melchizedek is? Do you know what relationship and what parallel exists between Jesus and Melchizedek? Do you know what it means that Jesus is a superior, uh, is superior to Levitical high priesthood because he is in the order of Melchizedek? And this is just one doctrine from a couple chapters in the Bible. Time fails me to mention the doctrine of the Trinity, the hypostatic union, the divine covenants, the atoning work of Christ, the two ordinances for the church, and the assurance of salvation. I'm not even mentioning any obs- obscure part of the Bible. These are all essential Christian doctrines, and they are not easy to comprehend. I think we can all relate to Peter's words in Second Peter 3.15. Our beloved brother Paul... Also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Observation number two. The Bible is hard to understand. Observation number three. Believers can grow dull in hearing the scriptures. Believers can grow dull in hearing the scriptures. Verse 11. About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. First of all, consider who it is that the author of Hebrews is addressing here. It's the believers. The author is not talking about unbelievers who have no interest whatsoever in the Bible. He is addressing the Hebrew Christians, Hebrews 6, 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. They are Christians. Again, Hebrews 10.39. But we, including the, the people who receive this letter, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Therefore, this is very important pay attention this is very important very important this, ser- this sermon addresses the believers in this room i will speak to unbelievers particularly here and there but my main audience for this sermon in mind as i preach are the believers here because this text is about believers secondly i also want you to consider this i want to cons- i want you to consider what spiritual ailment this group of Hebrew believers and Christians suffer from. It is a dullness of hearing, the dullness of hearing. Verse 11, you have become dull of hearing. When we hear the word dull, we think it means um, being bored or disinterested. The Greek word here uh, could most definitely mean boredom or disinterest, but it contains much more. It's, It's a more subtle word. It could also mean something more broad, like like laziness or slothfulness and so on. And notice also the causal relation between this lazy boredom and not understanding God's word. Verse 11, it is hard to explain since or because, because you have grown dull of hearing. It is a vicious cycle. Boredom of hearing God's word leads to not understanding God's word, which in return makes it even more difficult to pay attention and listen. The more difficult it is to pay attention and listen to God's word, the less you understand. So this is a vicious cycle altogether. That is a spiritual ailment. Dullness or boredom or slothfulness in hearing. And finally, I want you to consider the consequence or outcome of this dullness of hearing. What is the consequence of it? The consequence is spiritual malnourishment, stagnation in spiritual growth, and childishness in the faith. Let's just read a couple more verses after our text, verse 11, shall we? Verse 12. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles or the word of god you need milk not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child paul expressed the same sentiment in first corinthians 3 1 but i brothers could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh as infants infants in christ we are meant to grow up and mature, and that growth and maturity should be evident. We are not meant to be the same in a faith today and 10 years from now. Vera goes to the nursery every Sunday morning and plays with the toys in there. If 10 years from now, Vera still goes to the nursery every Sunday morning and plays with the toys in the nursery, we should all be very, very concerned. And so it is with our souls. We are meant to be maturing spiritually. And the main way to accomplish that is through God's word. Therefore, the consequence of dullness of hearing God's word is childishness in the faith. A spiritual malnourishment. And in a sense, spiritually, if you don't grow up, you're going to the nursery every Sunday morning and playing with the toys. And that's observation number three. Believers can grow dull in hearing the scriptures. Now that I have mentioned and made three observations from the three parts of this text. We're ready to combine these observations together and reach our doctrine this morning. Pay attention, this is this is your takeaway from the sermon and its main point. Doctrine Dullness in hearing God's word is a great hindrance to believers' spiritual growth. I'll say it again. Doctrine. Dullness in hearing God's word is a great hindrance to believers' spiritual growth. And for the rest of the sermon, I'll explain and apply this doctrine under three points. First, the reality of dullness. I'll paint a more detailed and clearer picture of this dullness in hearing. And I'll give you a few reasons why it is very sinful. And number two, reason for dullness. Reason for dullness. Why can we be dull at hearing God's word? And finally, as a remedies against dullness, remedies against dullness. I will try to offer a few remedies and solutions to this spiritual ailment. So, three points for you for the rest of this sermon this morning. The reality of dullness, the reason for dullness, and the remedies against dullness. So let's begin with point number one: the reality of dullness. Let me first Simply describe this dullness of hearing a little bit more to give you a, an idea of what it might look like. I, I arrange this list of symptoms so that it has some sort of progression to it. It starts probably with the mildest symptom and it increases in seriousness. I'm not giving you this list for accusatory or, uh, or guilt-tripping, but for diagno- diagnostic purposes. I myself have exhibited these symptoms in my life, and that's why some of these items are on the list in the first place, because I saw them in myself. So I hope it will convict, edify, and help you, and here is the list. Dullness of hearing can look like this. You just don't want to come to church or read God's word. Saturday night, a flash goes through your mind. You have to go to church tomorrow. I sit through an hour and a half long service. Wednesday morning, you wake up. Your first thought is, I need to read and pray. Friday night, you and your family just had dinner, and you're thinking about what to do for the rest of the evening with your family. You know one thing on the agenda is supposed to be family reading and prayer. And then there's this little twitch of resistance a reluctance in your heart. I just don't want to do that. I don't look forward to reading and hearing from the Bible. I don't look forward to someone preaching at me for an hour. Have you felt like this before? I have. The illness of hearing can also look like this. You actually want to read God's Word. You're somewhat looking forward to the sermon or your morning reading, but you have this mental drift. You just can't keep your attention focused. At 30 minutes into the sermon, you start start to think, should I eat Matsuri or sweet basil for lunch? Monday morning is going to be rough. Chad is going to ask me about the project at work. Anyways, the traffic on Grand Central is going to to be very bad after church. Wait, did Matthew just get a haircut? He looks good. We're three minutes into your morning reading. Oh, I only had six hours of sleep. I still have a full day ahead. I'm not looking forward to getting on the subway. Can this this day end already? Have you done this before? I have. Not about Matthew's haircut, but but about the mental drift in general. Dullness of hearing could look like this. You look forward to hearing the sermon, or reading the Bible on your own. You're hyper-attentive for some reason. There's no mental drift, probably because the coffee was really good that morning. But alas, the Bible is hard. There are things you just you don't understand, and then you just let it slide. You don't even try and make an effort to understand it a little bit better. Jesus and Melchizedek? Well, that's for the theologians to figure out. I just need to know Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You do not ask anyone for help. Asking pastor for a text you do not understand in you know, reading, that's a little bit intimidating. Uh, reading a commentary or listening to a sermon online on that text is most definitely too much work. I mean, it's, it's not a matter of life and death, whether I know about Jesus and Melchizedek or not, right? Have you thought about that? Have you thought that way before? I have. Dullness of hearing can also look like this. You read and listen. You look forward to reading and listening to God's word. You pay attention when you read and listen. You even understand most of it. Praise God, you do. But you just never think about it again. 1230, the benediction is said, you get up from the pew and leave the sermon at the back of your mind. 8 o'clock, you close the Bible, you get up from your chair in the study, I shelve the passage you just read in the morning to the dusty corner of your your mind. Sometimes you say to yourself, that was a good sermon. What do I do with it? I mean, son of Solomon chapter 3? I'm already married for crying out loud. And other times, Other times, you're not even doing it intentionally. It just never registered in your mind that thinking about the sermon throughout the week and the text you just read in the morning throughout the day, that is a good discipline to have and a good practice to live. Have you been there? I have. There's more. We're halfway through. Dullness can look like this. You pay attention when you read and hear and you understand most of it. But... You are just bored. I watched Avatar 2 last year, and you know the movie with a bunch of blue people, that movie. I remember saying to myself while well, well, in, in, sitting in the theater, I said, wow, this is so boring. In a similar way, you find many things in the Bible just uninteresting and trite, unapplicable and distant, you know, reading this Bible is something. You know, reading this Bible is something you should do and do well as a Christian. It just—it just does not raise any sense of affection. It doesn't stir up any zeal or fervor. Nor does it bring much spiritual renewal to your inner man. You are resolved to read the Bible from cover to cover at the beginning of the year. I'm going to follow through this year. Genesis, Exodus. Uh, the second half is a little bit boring, but. Leviticus. Oh man, that was a that was a tough one. You know the Bible. You pay attention to the Bible. You just think it's a it's a lot of it. Maybe a little bit of it. It's it's, it's boring. and dull. Have you approached the Bible that way before? I have. Dullness can also look like this. You almost never read the Bible on your own. So Sunday sermon, or maybe occasionally Thursday night Bible study. That is your only intake of God's word regularly. You might be a busy man. You start your work day early and you end late. You go home and make dinner and eat. You put the kids to bed and then it's almost 11 o'clock. It's time for bed. You might be a satisfied man. Well, isn't it enough to, to just listen to just one sermon once a week? I mean, there are pretty long sermons around here, right? I mean, I, I'm learning a lot of stuff just from these 60-minute long sermons. It might be an overly humble man. Well, the Bible is such a big book. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start. I'll just let the pastors and the teachers tell me what the Bible means instead of reading it on my own. It might be a charismatic man, not not a winsome person with a lot of charisma, but, but someone with charismatic leaning. Well, the Bible is one way through which we can know God, but the Bible is not the only way through which we can know God, Against saving knowledge of God. So I don't need to read the Bible like, I, like I cannot know him, his will otherwise. By the way, the Bible is the only way through which we, since the time of the apostles, can know God savingly. And outside of God's providence, you can only know God's will through the Bible. But whatever reason you have, whether you are a busy man, a satisfied man, an overly humble man, or a charismatic man, the reality is you do not read the Bible much outside of Sunday. Is that true of you today? Finally, one more. dullness can look like this. You're a husband, or you're a parent. Not only do you almost never read God's word on your own, family devotional is nonexistent in your family. Evenings are spent exclusively on earthly entertainment or secular work. Not even talking about a deep, exegetical, two-hour-long Thorough study on Joshua chapter 19. I'm talking about a five-minute short devotional on a psalm concluded with prayer and intercession for the saints. That doesn't exist in your family. The reality is this concept of family devotional is just altogether foreign and strange to you. You hope to raise children who love God and God's Word, but God's Word is rarely studied discussed, referenced to, or even mentioned at home. Is that true of you today? Now that's what dullness of hearing could look like. And hopefully this list has given you a clear idea of what the author has in mind in our text. It's exceedingly broad. If we're honest with ourselves, we will acknowledge just how pervasive this spiritual ailment is, symptoms of dullness, could be found in every believer, at least at one point of their Christian life. It does not matter how old, how old or how young, whether you are a new convert or a seasoned believer. Symptoms of dullness can be found not only in individual believers but also in corporate churches everywhere. And it is not merely seen in the churches today, but in all generations. Spurgeon said this in his sermon over 150 years ago. I fear a great many Christian people do not think much about their religion. Contemplative pursuits are not so general among Christian professors as I could wish. dullness of hearing is as pervasive in the church today, if not more, as Spurgeon's time, and for that matter, any time in history. Now, is this dullness of hearing a big deal? You know, is 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 it a problem? Well, John Owen wrote in his commentary on Hebrews concerning this very verse about dullness of hearing. This is a sin of so perilous a nature as to deprive us of all benefit by the gospel. You hear what he's saying here? This dullness of hearing is so dangerous spiritually that it could rob you of every benefit of the gospel. That doesn't mean if you will be damned forever if you don't read your Bible, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord and and God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. But it does mean your dullness of hearing will rob you of joy in tribulation, fortitude and hardship, assurance of salvation, strength to combat sin, fruitfulness in service and wisdom in life. Since this is a matter of great importance, let me quickly give you a few reasons as to why this dullness is so sinful, to make sure that neither Owen nor I am exaggerating. First of all, this dullness of hearing is sinful because it disrespects the Father who gave us the gift of his word. It disrespects the Father who gave us the gift of his word. Here is a very self-evident principle. The reaction of the hearer to the words of a speaker reveals his attitude toward the speaker himself. It's never just about the words we hear, but ultimately about the person who speaks those words. Here's an illustration. On Saturday morning, bear in mind, this is only an illustration. has not taken place in real life. On Saturday morning, my wife says to me, the house is a mess. It's very important that we should have a neat and clean house. Can you please take charge to, you, uh, to to clean it? And I wouldn't even let her finish. And I say, honey, it bores me. Just to so, just listen to you. Can, please do not talk to me again for the rest of the day. You know what? Make it a week. Please do not talk to me for the rest of the week. You know, first of all, I will be in big trouble, and I will certainly have to clean the house. But but more importantly, but more importantly, that is sinful. That is offensive and disrespect, disrespectful to not just my wife's words and requests, but my wife as a person. In an infinitely more serious way, there are very few things more disrespectful than telling God the Bible you inspire by your spirit, revealed through the apostles and the prophets, gifted to us by your immeasurable grace. That Bible bores me. and does not move or affect me in any way. The father is disrespected in the dullness of hearing. Secondly, dullness of hearing is sinful because it dishonors the son who is the theme of God's word. It it dishonors the son who is the theme of God's word. Brothers, you have before you a most excellent and infinitely magnificent subject to hear and consider. That is Jesus the Christ, the son of God. It profits the whole soul to set our minds upon him, set forth so gloriously and clearly from the Bible. Yet, we seem to be far more interested in the lesser things and the worldly entertainments, things that are transient, invented by the darkened minds of men, and often bring no profit whatsoever to the soul and promote little to no godliness and sanctification. It is simply tragic when God's people find the trivial trifles on television, magazines, as social media, more drawing than Jesus Christ. Thirdly, dullness of hearing is sinful because it disregards the spirit who teaches us God's word. The spirit has many titles, one of which is the spirit of truth. The spirit has many wonderful works, one of which is leading us into that truth. The spirit is our closest companion who loves us and daily seeks to do us spiritual good. And the chief good he is actively doing right now for us is enlightening our minds and strengthening our souls to know God. To be dull to hear God's word is like having no interest in your teachers or professors, lecturers, in school. Because God is not only the giver and the subject of the scriptures, God also teaches God's word. Fourthly, dullness of hearing is sinful because it makes believers resemble unbelievers. It makes believers resemble unbelievers. And anything that makes a believer look like an unbeliever must be sinful. And the Bible frequently describes unbelievers by their resistance, lack of interest, and apathy toward God's word. Romans 1.28. They did did not see fit to have God in their knowledge. How about Isaiah 6.10? Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Again, Amos 7 verse 10, the priests at Amos' time spoke against him uh, to Israel's king. Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. In other words, when unbelievers hear God's word, they consider it not worthwhile to listen. They're bored of it. And they sometimes cannot even stand with the hearing of it. When we hear with dullness, we live as if, the emphasis is on as if, Christians live as if the grace of God has made no difference in our lives. We reflect not Christ-likeness, but world-likeness. Fifthly, this dullness of hearing is sinful, because it leads to fruitlessness and evil in other areas of your Christian life. In other words, this dullness does not just stop at hearing God's word, but rather march further and spill over to corrupt the whole of our souls. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man, for that no matter, how can any man keep his way pure? By guarding it against your word. So what happens when we no longer guard our souls with God's word? Our ways are in danger of corruption. How about Proverbs 2.6? For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. So what happens when you be, we become dull of hearing words from God's mouth? We're in danger of temptation and sin. Now, Not only is the danger of of sin present when the word of God is absent, dullness also leads to the danger of fruitlessness. Let me give you one example, our relation with the church. If we're consistently bored with God's word, consider it a great burden or drudgery, and make little to no effort to comprehend and internalize and practice God's word, then we will not be fruitful in the church. I mean, how could we? The church is built upon the foundation of the word of God. When the church gathers for public worship, the preaching of God's word occupies the central location, uh, position. When the saints fellowship with each other, they love talking about God's word and encouraging each other with, with God's word. Everything in this church revolves around God's word. Dullness of hearing would take away every opportunity for you to be effective and fruitful in service and ministry in the church. And finally, this dullness of hearing is sinful because it undermines our testimony before the unbelieving world. Put yourself in the position of someone who does not Christ for a moment. If you walk into a church where the people are disinterested, where apathetic, or dull toward the word of God, What would be your most natural conclusion? Well, there must be very little in the Bible actually worth knowing. Because even the people who profess to be Christians, the people who swear their allegiance to Christ, the people who claim Jesus is their hope in life and death, they're not even interested in what the Bible has to say. You have my salesmen who are passionate about a product that is a complete waste of your time. We have the words of eternal life. How could we be dull of hearing? How can we, let God's word, feature so little of our lives? Are you dull of hearing God's word? How are you dull of hearing God's word? Do you read it at all? When you read it, do you think it's boring? When you hear it, do you think about it? After you hear it, do you contemplate upon it throughout the week or the day? Brothers, Take care to reflect upon the Word of God. Point number two, the reason for dullness. Now, the goal of this sermon is not merely to describe this dullness so you can recognize it in your life. Or is it to... The main goal is not to convict you of sinfulness, of this dullness. My goal is to offer you some remedies and directions to combat this dullness in you. Now, just as a physician cannot cure the symptom without searching for its underlying cause, we cannot effectively grow in hearing God's word well without knowing the reason for our dullness. And so so before giving you the remedies, let me give you a few reasons why believers can grow dull in hearing or reading God's word. Again, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but this is a scriptural list. The list may not contain all the circumstantial reasons, but it does contain reasons applicable to most believers most of the time. Reason number one, the preacher is boring, dull, and monotone. The preacher is boring, dull, and monotone. This reason is applicable to hearing sermons only. Sermon criticism could be about anything. The preacher's mannerism is distracting and, and natural. The content of the sermon is uninspiring, dry, too intellectual, too doctrinal. The structure of the sermon is unhelpful and messy. The word choice is unclear and confusing. The cadence is too flat and monotone. The pace is too fast or too slow. The length of the sermon is too long or too short. The style is too humorless or too much humor. I remember after one sermon at a church, I overheard someone say, I just don't like the preacher's voice. He's too pitchy. Now, all these critiques are entirely possible. Or even true. And all these things could make listening to a sermon more difficult. But here's an application for you. Verse 11. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain. Remember, it is hard to explain God's word. The preacher could have chosen to, to amuse and entertain you for an hour on Sunday morning. For that would be far easier. The preacher could have taken two hours on Saturday afternoon to casually and superficially think about what to say on Sunday morning, for that would be far easier than poring over a text for 30 hours throughout the week. And we're blessed that our two pastors who most regularly occupy this pulpit never take the easy way out. So be gracious to your pastors. Love them. Love them by paying attention to their sermons, Love them by going up to them after the sermon to tell them one or two things you learned from the sermon that's encouraging to you, it's convicting to you, and transformative to you, things that you will desire to live out in your Christian life. Reason number two, God is incomprehensible and we are finite in our mental capacity. Whenever we open the scriptures on our own during public worship or Bible study, We're drawing near to and occupying our minds with the most excellent, lovely, and satisfying subject. It is all fruitless trivialities uh, and vanities we're dealing with. We're gazing at the being, the attributes, the works, and the wisdom of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now concerning this God, one thing you should know is that he is incomprehensible. It doesn't mean he cannot be known. It doesn't mean he's unknowable. He most definitely can be known through creation and revelation. But it does mean God cannot be comprehensively and perfectly known. God is infinitely more incomprehensible than the ocean is inexhaustible and the universe is introversible. Think Psalm 139. You search out my path and my lying down. I don't even search out my lying down. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Think Job 42. I have uttered things what I do not, did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Think Romans 11.33. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. Think thy God of infinite depth and think ourselves with finite mental capacities and natural limitations. Just as a little bottle can never drain the ocean and a little room can never contain the earth, our mind cannot fathom all of God. And when we try to, through the hearing or reading of God's word, of course we get weary, we get tired, we maybe get intimidated. Of course we need rest and recreation. With a grand and infinite being occupies our finite and demands our continual attention, we become dull, it becomes a little bit burdensome, we become inattentive. Reason number three we're often hindered by recreations, distractions, and businesses. Of life, recreations, distractions, and businesses in life. On one hand, there are many other good and godly things we are called to attend to daily. Family uh, that requires our intensive care and attention, including newborn babies and aging parents. Work that easily spill, uh, work that easily spills over to evenings and even late nights. Social activities that can occupy much time on the weekends. At the end of the day. Uh, these good and joyful occasions has sometimes crowd out the time and energy we could have allotted to the hearing and the reading of God's Word. At the end of the day, for some of you, the reason for lack of hearing or reading God's Word is simply a fully packed schedule, crowded with things uh, you absolutely have to attend to. On the other hand, for many of us, there are probably also many other not-so-good and not-so-godly things that we pay way too much attention to. We have grown so accustomed to the endless entertainment options and social media of the world. I would gladly concede and acknowledge the usefulness of these things in in the Christian life if used moderately and well. I've heard some people say that so and so recreational activity is not so is not by nature sinful. So what is the big deal of engaging in it? Well, the problem is this is a backward approach to the role of recreation in the Christian life. Recreation serves a renewing purpose so that we may receive temporary rest and be recharged in order that we may go on and be fruitful and useful for God's kingdom and for the church. It's It's literally like recharging your phone. That is not supposed to be a perpetual state of the phone. It ran out of battery, so you plug it in to to the charger so that an hour later you can use it freely again. In the same way, recreation is a temporary state of life. The question is not how much non-sinful recreation we can fill our time with, but rather how much recreation is necessary so that we may again be useful to God and to his people again. Too much recreation becomes sinful distraction, drawing our time and energy from the hearing and meditating of God's word. We become dull in hearing because when recreation becomes the main lifestyle. Reason number four. Some believers undervalue or disregard the spiritual maturity and growth. Some believers undervalue or disregard spiritual maturity and growth. Some say, I've already been saved. My eternal destiny has been secured by Christ. My biggest problem has been solved, and I can never fall away. So growing and maturing in the faith is not a top priority for me. Even if there is marginal growth in my faith, barely any progress in my sanctification, little hearing of God's word for the rest of my life, I'll still be saved. This, again, is a misuse of scriptural doctrine. Perseverance of the saints is not given to us to justify our intentional slothfulness. It is given to us to comfort and encourage us uh, that even uh, a, when our best effort is mingled with failure and blemish, it does not excuse our growth. It is meant to stir up our growth. We're more motivated to grow. Do not take lightly the scriptural mandate, Second Peter three eighteen but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord as Savior, Jesus Christ. Reason number five. Some believers misunderstand the means of spiritual maturity and growth. Some believers misunderstand the means of spiritual maturity and growth. Related to the last reason, maybe you care a lot about spiritual growth in the faith. After all, the Bible does call believers to mature. At Hebrews 6.1 Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. We're not meant to be babies forever, not physically, nor spiritually. Uh, So growing is important. That much is clear. But after that, there is a confusion, a misunderstanding as to how we can attain uh, that coveted spiritual growth. Well, some people think well, just keep on living a godly and a good moral life and you will grow naturally. Others think community. Community is what really grows you. Living life with other people will mature you. Still, others think service or leadership uh, will try and refine you enough to make you a better man of God. There may be a grain of truth in these approaches, but the Bible is very clear. 1 Peter 2.2. Like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And what is that pure spiritual milk? He explains that a little bit earlier in 1 Peter 1, 24. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. A wordless Christian is a malnourished Christian. Reason number six there's still remaining indwelling sins and sinful inclinations in us. Before we're converted, at best, we found the Bible dull and boring. At worst, we just oppose it and reject it altogether. And that tendency doesn't just magically vanish altogether the moment we are regenerated. We're slowly and surely putting off the old man and putting on a new man made in the likeness and righteousness of Christ. But alas, the old man, the old man is stubborn as sometimes we respond to God's word like the old man more than the new. So brothers, can you can you fathom this great wonder that when we are raised to everlasting life, we will never be bored with God and his word ever again. There will there will not be something too hard for you to understand. We'll forever be knowing him more and more and be known by him. Can you fathom that wonder that will take place in the kingdom of heaven in eternity? That, my friend, is an encouraging, cheerful, and hopeful prospect for us in eternity. And that is also a useful a motivating and a spurring reality for us in the here and the now to know and to love God's word. Because in the kingdom of heaven, you will never be bored with God. And so you can live it out now more and more on this earth. Now, very quickly, let me conclude with point number three. The realities, uh, the the remedies, sorry, the remedies against dullness. I, I must first confess to you just how difficult it is to give lasting and enduring remedies for this chronic spiritual ailment. Remember, part of this Dullness is laziness and slothfulness. Like, how can you help a lazy person to be lazy no more? I mean, he's going to have to do something. He's going to be too lazy to do the thing that you tell him to do, right? But I, I must not send you away discouraged on the Lord's day. Our dullness is certainly not hopeless, for the grace of God is sufficient, and the love of God powerful in all things. So I'm going to briefly prescribe to us a few remedies against this ailment of dullness in hearing. The goal is not to force you to do all of them. Whichever ones are most implementable to you, just, just give it a try. Take it or leave it. Remedy number one, orient parts of your daily schedule specifically to the hearing of God's word. This may sound very trivial and obvious, but little things go a long way. It might help you to be more attentive on Sunday mornings if you put the kids and yourself to bed a little bit earlier Saturday night. It could do your soul some good to try to try your best to avoid work on Thursday night for Bible study if possible. Might be a good idea to set aside all activities for Sunday mornings and somewhat regularly regularly refrain from social or familial obligations for Sunday afternoon, so that the Lord's day could be optimized and maximized in the intaking and the internalizing of God's word. It might be helpful if we just set the alarm 20 minutes earlier in the morning. I, I know how, firsthand how hard it is. I love sleep. I need sleep. I'm not sure how my sleep is going to be when the little one comes, but if you can persistently draw from this mind of spiritual riches for 20 minutes a day, You will soon be a rich man before the Lord. Of course, I understand some of you have to work on Thursday nights where you live very far and it's hard to get home. But once in a while, we all have emergencies or families to take care of. I simply want to encourage us to think a little more carefully how we we may move around items on our schedules to immerse ourselves and our families into God's word. Whatever that may look like, practically for you and your family. Remedy number two, take advantage of helpful resources. Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. This, so this verse is telling us, you know the elementary doctrines of Christ, but that is not enough. That is enough to save you, but that is not enough to mature you. You know the basics of the gospel, but you do not you, you do not know much more. Your diet is almost exclusively milk. You have not tried solid food for the mature. You do not know where to go to learn more. What do you do? We are blessed, actually, to live in a time where abundant theological resources are available to us, which are designed specifically to help us think on God's word more. The one one resource most readily accessible for you as a member of this church is our statement of faith, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. The adoption of this confession of faith is not the end, it's the beginning. Now that we collectively recognize it as our statement of faith, we should not just set it aside, push it out, never mention it again, On the contrary, we can begin to use it in our corporate church life or individual Christian life. You may oppose the 1689 altogether, and you would disagree with its doctrinal stance here and there, but you cannot deny the fact that it is an edifying and enriching resource for you. Read it on your own, or read it with your family. In addition to the 1689, there are books written by good and godly Christians, modern or old. There are sermons preached by other pastors, modern or old. You can read on your way uh, to work and back. You can take 15 minutes to read before bed. Jack listens to a Tim Keller sermon every night as he lays in bed. I like reading books written by people who have been dead for more than two centuries. If you want to take advantage of these resources designed to help you and to know God more, but you don't know where to begin, you know, Reach out to me, reach out to your pastors, and we'll give you recommendations. Remedy number three, read the Bible with someone. Read the Bible with someone. Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one. If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And when you read the Bible with someone, someone else, you preserve the fire of, of zeal more easily. When you read the Bible with someone else, you are held accountable you're less likely to slack off. When you read the Bible with someone else, you learn from each other things you would not have otherwise seen by yourself. I've learned much from hearing other people's answers at our Thursday night Bible study, things I've never seen before in the text. I've been corrected by my wife through a family devotional several times. When you read the Bible with someone else, you serve and you love another person Uh, You are loved and you're served by another person. So so look around you. Find someone. Find someone you can read the Bible with in this church. Maybe once a week. Maybe on a Saturday. Maybe for half an hour or more. Maybe it is your wife, your children. Maybe it is a younger brother or sister. Find someone to read the Bible with in this church. Remedy number four, pray. Pray. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without finding, without reproach, and it will be given him. Pray that you will read the Bible. Pray that you will be more desirous and happy to read the Bible. Pray as you read the Bible. If you don't want to read, pray and confess. If you do not understand something, pray and ask. If you gain new spiritual insight, pray and give thanks. Pray. Remedy number five, last one. Always return to the gospel. Always return To the gospel. I said this sermon is mostly for the believers here, and so now I conclude this sermon. I speak to every soul present in this room. The gospel is of first importance, and the gospel is of first importance for a reason. The root of all remedies against every spiritual ailment, including our dullness of hearing God's word, it is in the gospel. Do you know the gospel? The gospel says there is one God who is the creator of all things. And by his power and his wisdom, the wisdom and power of his word, he made all of us in his image and likeness as children for his honor and his glory. The gospel convicts us because we have all sinned and turned aside from him who is the fountain of goodness and life. In sin, we plunged ourselves in much misery and pain, which will culminate in death. Death in the body and death in the soul. Death on earth and death eternal. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, sinners, he sent forth his son to take on flesh and the human nature in the person of Jesus the Christ. He was righteous. He was sinless. He was was perfect and good in everything. He was the most wonderful and beautiful person ever lived in this world his words are always always true when his deed is motivated with love for god and his father and for his neighbors jesus also took on our sins against god upon himself on that cross he bled to cleanse us from our guilt he suffered to turn away the wrath of god we deserve he died so that our debt our sin debt against god can be canceled. What we owe to God is fully paid on the cross. On the third day, he victoriously rose to life so that whoever, whosoever in this room, in this world, turns away from their sins and trusts in the finished work of Jesus Christ in his life, righteous life, atoning death and triumph and resurrection, that person will be clothed with Jesus' righteousness, accepted and reconciled to the holy God and he will be given a sure and hopeful prospect of eternal life oh how lovely how lovely is Jesus Christ have you ever seen anyone like him you are drawn to glamorous celebrities accomplished athletes and intellectual scholars are you drawn to this all-sufficient savior Jesus Christ is your soul knitted together with his as his his soul is with yours. Whether you are or not, go to the Bible. You can meet him there. You can know him there. And you can adore him there. The written word of God is for the incarnate word of God. So brothers, frequent this gospel, which will surely move you to frequent the word of God. I entreat you, brothers and friends, if we have such a wonderful Savior can you and I be dull of hearing from him? Surely you will not. Take up and read. Take up and read. Let's pray. Lord, have I not approached you with fear and trembling? Studying meditating upon your word. Have I not come with fear and trembling as I stand before your people, the church, to proclaim your word? And I pray that... Uh, the sermon has been preached with uh, your seal of, seal of approval and pleasure. I pray that you have been glorified and Jesus Christ is extolled. I pray that this congregation now receive it with humility, with attentiveness, with conviction in their hearts, so that they may leave this place, this sanctuary, where we meet one and a half hours out, uh, out of 168 a week. They may leave this place, and live it out. They will love you, love your word. They will live out your word. They will proclaim your word. I pray that Woodside Community Church will be, um, will be so immersed in your word. Uh, and we will draw power and wisdom for godliness and for truth, for righteousness from that word. I pray that you'll bless this house of worship, shower upon it the blessing of your truth, I pray that every soul here will love Christ. Uh, Whoever now does not love Christ, whoever now has doubt about Christ, whoever now still rejects Christ, I pray that that person will receive the supernatural miraculous gift of regeneration and a newness of life right now, Lord. For there is no name given among men under the heavens by which we must be saved, save the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray that you will save sinners. You will transform saved sinners. So love you to mature and grow. We pray. Amen.